So for those of you who weren't here last week, we talked about a central theme in the book of Colossians, which is this. This is God, and I got a better marker today, so we're doing, we're doing really good. So if you can't see this, then now, now we're really doing good. That the letter to the Colossians is written to a, a group of people who had this amazing experience with Jesus, but knowing exactly what that means and what that is supposed to look like in the world is challenging. And so we talked about this constant back and forth that Paul seems to be doing in this letter, which is God is in Christ, so that's, that's what, that's, this is the identity part, the Christ. And Christ, this is the fundamental uh, verse that we talked about, is Christ is actually in you. So if you want to know the question, who are you, this is part of your identity. You have to understand, spiritually speaking, that when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus, it's not just that you've accepted certain beliefs, it's that something fundamentally changes about who you are. And the God, the creator of the universe, the one who was there at the very beginning, lives in Christ, Christ being the, the word that sums up the, the entirety of the authority of who God is here on earth in the person of Jesus. And that, all of that, you know, uh, think Aladdin, amazing cosmic power! Space. <laughs> but... Uh, Paul continues to kind of flip that analogy around and says that, but you are also in Christ. So you are in Christ, and not only that, but Christ is in God. So that's, this, is, this is who you are. So if you missed last week, well, that's all you needed right there. So thanks for coming. That is, that is the entirety of the whole thing right there. The next couple chapters of Colossians is going to actually take this central idea and expand it out into, so what does this actually mean? What does this actually look like? And what are some things that we can change and attend to once we know this? Now, again, the letter operates off of a moral logic that is connected to this. When you get to certain verses in the Bible and pull them out and say, but doesn't the Bible say slaves submit to your masters and wives submit to your husbands and honor them? Yes, it does say that. But the entirety of the argument is predicated upon this idea. So whenever we read through letters, you have to remember there's an entire cohesive argument that is being made that contextualizes and gives meaning to all those verses. So we're going to reference back to this all the time. Now, that's this verse, chapter 1, at the very beginning, after he says all these gratitude things and all these platitudes at the very beginning, he says, this is the mystery that I'm trying to communicate to you that God is now making known to everybody, the entire world, Christ in you the hope of glory. Now, that's where we stopped. That's kind of where we parked last week. What we didn't take a look at is the verse that comes immediately after that that we'll take a look and deep dive in today, which is this. It is he, this Christ in you, it is he whom we proclaim. This is the entirety of the message, everything that we're trying to do. We're trying to proclaim Christ. And there's two things here, warning everybody and teaching everybody. So there's warnings and then there's teachings, and often two of those are overlapped and go together. Uh, everybody in all wisdom, so that, uh, that so that there is actually doing some incredible work. This is the ultimate aim. This is the goal. This is what we're trying to do. We're going to warn and we're going to teach, but so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This verse has a lot of meaning for me. The first uh, church, first Christian church, 
my home church where I became a Christian, this, was, this verse was printed on every piece of paraphernalia from that church because this was the church's primary mission verse. It was on the pencils, it was on the cardstock, it was on the letters, it was everywhere. And it's a good verse because this is where he's driving for. And if you were to think about a capstone, a cornerstone, a foundation stone, whatever you want to, whatever analogy you want to use, this is what he's going for. So you need to know this and, and embrace this and know this in the depths of your bones. But what we're really going for because of this is maturity. Now, the word mature, as you know, it was not written originally in English, it was written in Greek is the phraseology to leon en Christo, which is sometimes translated perfect in Christ. Sometimes it's translated mature or complete. But for those of you who remember my message uh, several months ago, where I talked about identity, fidelity, and teleology, do you see the word in there? Teleon comes from the root word teleology. Now, for those of you who weren't there, we talked about teleology is about aim, purpose, meaning direction. Teleology is I'm crossing a bridge and the purpose of the bridge is to get me to the end. And so at the end of the bridge, there is a sign that says telos. You've made it and the bridge has accomplished what it was supposed to do. Now, this is really helpful to understand that the word telos is behind this, for those of you who missed that message, because we have verses in our New Testament that are sometimes perplexing and can cause a lot of angst for those of, who, those of us who don't really read or understand that there's other meanings behind this. For example, Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Now, English connotes the word perfect as no mistakes, no blemishes, completely sinless, all these kinds of things. But again, the word behind the word perfect there is the word telos. In other words, if you want to be mature, if you want to be complete, if you want to actually accomplish the fullness of this kind of discipleship, then this is what you need to do. It's not that you need to do this because then you will be blameless and perfect and no blemishes and all that kind of stuff. It's a level of maturity, adulthood, that kind of thing that's happening. So we should probably translate this verse if you wish to become mature. Like, if you're okay being a baby and being a toddler, not very articulate and not very intelligent, fine. But if you want to be mature, if you want to grow up in this thing that you are a part of, then do this. There's another verse, Matthew 5, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, the exact same word behind that. And again, for those of us who read this, like, perfect? I can't, well, God is perfect, so clearly that should be our aim, but I am nowhere near perfect. I can't ever do this. And again, perfect is maybe a very imperfect translation of that verse. Maybe we should think, maybe instead of mature, we could say complete. Because the idea is that God, the one that we worship, is not distinct parts. Everything about God, so this theology says, is complete and whole and cohesive and coherent. If God is compassionate and kind and loving and merciful, then God's actions are also kind and loving and compassionate and merciful. It's completeness, it's wholeness. So being, 
quote-unquote perfect, you can, by the way, if you have an English translation, you, you have my permission to scratch out the word perfect. I know in your Bible, I might make you feel a little bit weird or some funny feelings, but you can scratch out the word perfect and write the word mature or complete there if you want. If you want to be complete, if that's, if that's what you're going, if you're going for discipleship, then the aim and the goal is to make everything match, to make the fullness of your life coherent, consistent, and constantly growing and maturing. So this is what is going to take place in this next leg. Now, many of us, when we become followers of Jesus or we become Christians, we know the phrase, born again. Do you know this phrase? And it is from the Bible, it's from Jesus' teachings, and sometimes it's used as a pejorative depending upon what circles you're in. But the whole idea is that when you become a follower of Jesus, you are born again. Now, if you really take that analogy fully and completely, that is an amazing miracle of what happens. When you come to know Jesus, when you come to have a realization of who God is, when you come to submit your life to Jesus, or you just have an experience, as we've been talking about before, uh, over the last several weeks, as Pastor Danielle's been leading us through practicing the presence of God, when you have that experience, and then all of a sudden you realize, you feel, you sense something is changing in your soul, in your spirit, a lot of people would suggest you are being born again. Something is changing. Something is radically shifting in your spiritual consciousness. You are being born again. And that is a miracle. I don't know if you've ever seen a baby being born Every time I even think about a single cell blob of nothing becoming you, it blows my mind. That is a miracle. But I noticed none of you are there right now. Because the natural course of events is if you stayed there, something would actually be wrong. If you were never to actually grow, if your body didn't actually try to become something else, something would be terribly wrong. Because the whole point of the miracle is so that you will fulfill the entirety of the potential of that miracle into adulthood so that you can constantly continue to mature. Now, this is what I think Paul is talking about here. And he's using this analogy to say that experience that you had, Colossians, is a miracle. And that's why I thank God for you. But you really need to understand what happened to you. And by understanding what happened to you, you're going to continually progress in maturity. You are not going to remain infants. You must grow up. You must learn. You must mature. Now, as I was looking at this graphic, I thought, where should I cut this off? Because it ends in what? In death. And then I thought, maybe it should end in death. What is the fundamental trajectory of somebody who is a follower of Christ? To die to yourself. The, the idea behind the letters the trajectory of maturity is that you ultimately die to self. Take up your cross and follow me. Rid yourself 
of the things that are going to plague your spirit and your soul and become alive in Christ. So this graphic is actually quite commensurate with the fullness of the message. So maturity is the point, so that we may present everyone mature, not perfect, mature, growing, older, wiser. So let's go through this very quickly because chapter two is going to be a long thread. We're used to verses. This is a long argument of how to get to that maturity. First of all, he's talking about how I'm striving for you, those in Laodicea. I, I, uh, I want their hearts to be encouraged, so he's making wonderful exhortations. And I want them to know this mystery, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, constantly referring back to this idea. I am saying this, that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. Okay, so we can kind of hint here that the Colossians are, are getting this, but there's these constant voices around. I just dropped God. <laughs> yeah, I know. There are, the, there are other people who are trying to deceive the Colossians. They're trying to uh, consider, hey, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to do this. And Paul keeps saying, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to do anything. This is already your reality. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, continue to walk in him. There's that maturity piece, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Watch out that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity uh, of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him. Again, Listen, there are people that are going to tell you you're not good enough. There are more things that you need to do. Did you take care of these rituals? Did you take care of all of these things that you're supposed to check box in order for you to actually become a good spiritual person? And Paul's like, shut them up. That is, watch out for that. They're going to try to deceive you. This is what you need to know. You don't need to know all of those things. For example, not for example, he goes on to make the further argument in him. And here's why. You were also circumcised. And so for some of us, we're like, um, real? oh, wait a second. Did that happen? I'm Gentile. I'm not Jewish again. With a spiritual circumcision by the removal of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. So he's taking this ancient Jewish practice, modern Jewish one as well, when you were buried with him in baptism. Baptism and circ. Do you see the argument? So, okay. There is this thing in the tradition called circumcision. Yes, this is the Flintstone here. And what he's suggesting is, just like circumcision was a mark of a covenant commitment to God, so also is baptism. So the baptism that you witnessed not too long ago has the same level of meaning and depth of commitment and covenant as circumcision did way back when. The, the very same thing happened. When you were buried with him and the power of God who raised him from the dead, which is, of course, a reference to the resurrection, he's just constantly going on this argument. And this phrase right here, by the removal of the body of the flesh, is going to show up multiple times in this passage. That phrase right there can actually be translated divest, take off strip away, as if you were wearing something and you were taking it off. Just like circumcision, quite literally, 
divested yourself of the flesh. Baptism is divesting yourself of the old self, the old ways. You don't live that way anymore because you are this. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your faith, God, God made you alive together with him when he forgave all of our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. Your sins are gone. The record is expunged, nailed to the cross. And I, I, that's an interesting phrase because some of us grew up in traditions where we would go to camp and there would be a literal wooden cross and we'd write our sins on a three by five card and go to the cross and nail it. And some of us have trauma from that. And I understand it's going to be okay. But the reason why we did that is because it's written in the book, quite literally nailed to the cross. And there, for, for, uh, for all of us who need to do whatever uh, religious therapy we need to do about all these things, there is something profound about the argument. You keep trying. Stop trying. It's been done. But isn't there more? Stop trying. It's been done. So there is something profound. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it, which is in the, I mean, I wish we could spend just every Sunday on one little verse, because that verse, also reflected in other, uh, other passages, is a profound subversion of the practice of crucifixion. What is crucifixion supposed to be? The person who is crucified is naked, hung on a cross, exposed for all the world to see. They are set in a public place so that people walking by would see the example that Rome is making of somebody who is dishonoring and disobeying Rome. That's the idea of crucifixion. And what does Paul say? He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. The, the sacrifice of Jesus flips the script. Rome thinks that they are disarming Jesus and making a public example of Jesus. Paul is saying it's the other way around. Jesus is actually disarming the rulers and the authorities and is actually making a public spectacle of them. And that is exactly why we are all gathered here today in the name of Jesus, not in the name of Rome. Because something was exposed in that crucifixion. So, so it's, it's really brilliant what he's doing there. And this, this, the flipping of the script is part of that maturity. Therefore, don't, look, that's what Jesus did. So don't let anybody condemn you. Stop listening to those people that keep telling you that you are religiously inferior, that you are spiritually inept, that you are not actually good enough. Don't let people do that, especially in matters of food and drink or observing festivals. All these rituals that you think you're supposed to do in order to maintain some levels of spiritual uh, sanctity, these are only a shadow of what is to come, but the body belongs to Christ don't let anyone disqualify you, insist on self-abasement and worship of angels, initiatory visions, puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with a growth that is from God. I mean, it's an expansive argument here. If with Christ you died to the elemental principles, if you died to those spirits, 
why do you still live as if you belong to them? Now the turn of the argument happens. This is who you are. Other people are telling you you're not good enough. Paul's saying, don't listen to those people. You, everything's already been, been done. It's been nailed to the cross. Got it? Got it? Good. Then why are you still living? Do you see the turn? Then why are you still living as if you belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All of these regulations refer to things that will perish. They're, they're ultimately going to die. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. So, 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 so. Now, that so is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Okay, that was a lot. I know it's a lot in a message, and you kind of need to marinate on each little phrase. Again, this is who you are. People are telling you you're not good enough. Don't listen to them. What Jesus did on the cross is sufficient. You were baptized. That's equal to circumcision. Like, there's this whole strain of argument. Once you understand all of that, so, because of that truth, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are here on earth, for you have died. There's that end of the generational journey, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming to those who are disobedient. These are the ways you once followed when you were living that life, but now But now you must rid yourself of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Why? So that we may present everyone mature. This is our goal. So there's this thing that we now are responsible for. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have, there's that word again, divested, stripped off, taken away, stripped away. Stripped away the old self with its practices, and have clothed, clothed. You've taken up, and then you've clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, enslaved and free, but Christ is all in, in all. Back to here, again. Therefore, and another therefore. What is that therefore? Therefore, you have to read all of that. Remind yourself of the entirety of the argument that he's laid out. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, now that you are standing naked because you've divested yourself of everything, clothe yourself. Put on, wear compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, above everything, all of that stuff, my friends, 
clothe yourself, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And there it is. There are those phrases once again. Because of this, there is this taking off, this shedding, this divestment of old things. And then there is a putting on, a clothing, a transformation of something else. Are you with me? I don't think you are. So, here's what I'm going to do. Because I've thought about this. Don't worry. Don't get nervous. Because <laughs> I'm a little nervous right now myself. Because I was thinking about this. About taking off certain clothing and putting on other clothing. So, how many of you are feeling a little bit uncomfortable right now? <laughs> I'll see you guys later. I'm gonna go home. <laughs> this is. This is what I put on when I am home only with my family and I'm about ready to go to sleep. Uh, it communicates something. And when the delivery guy comes to the door, you cinch up. Many years ago, um, I had the privilege of doing sports, and, and karate was one of them. And I don't even think I can fit into this thing anymore. Yeah. Oh, ooh, thank you. <laughs> why, why did you ooh-ah? What happened? Look, there's, a, there's still a blood stain. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And I... Oh, man, this is small. And I remember... Come on, bring it on. Some, I, ooh. I, I look tough? Do I? Really? It, well, never mind. I, I mean, I, I remember when I would go away from, you know, practice or, or, or whatever, and, and my, I, I didn't have a change of clothes, and I would just walk in to the grocery store or wherever we might happen to be, and I remember feeling something. Like, when I'm, when I'm in the dojo... Right, you're, you're, you're there, and you're, you're there for practice and, and training, and you're, you're doing. But, but then when I'm out in public, it, it felt, something felt different. I felt, I, I felt strong. I felt power. I felt, I felt amazing. I felt like, come on, bring it on. I felt, somebody, somebody, um, do a crime right now, because I'm ready. I wanna. <laughs> somebody needs to do a crime. A simple one, because I'm, I'm 14. But, but do one. But, because I can, I can do this. And I love the fact that you oohed and awed and you made, like, something, something's changed with, okay, so, every Christmas, I started doing this thing, yeah, and Kwame's used this, and, and uh, people show up, and, do you know what, do you know what people do when they see me in this? Whistle. They, <laughs> <laughs> and smile, they laugh, they're like, oh, this, this looks fun. 
And the silk in here, like the nice, well, it's not silk, it's polyester, but it, it, feels, it feels nice. And, and I, you know, when I think about it, when I look at it, something happens, and then something happens to the people around me. And it feels like something, something fun is going to happen, and we're going to engage in a party, or we're going to do something uh, really entertaining, which is, um, I mean, the clothes themselves are, are quite entertaining themselves. And then, um, of course, there's one last, I mean, I, this could go on and on, but um, when, it's, uh, when it's time for a wedding or a funeral or a job interview, yes, I, yes, I pre-tied this, um, then, then, then there's something like this. Now, what, T-shirt? <laughs> yeah, sorry. What do you think? Whoa, proper. And when I walk into a room that looks like this, then, and this, this has been a suit that I've worn to, to weddings and to funerals, uh, to special occasions. Um, I did wear this to, to a job interview. I got the job, so that was good. That was nice. I didn't wear the tie. I wore a different kind of shirt. And I was thinking about this uh, analogy that Paul uses. Take off that which was old, put on that which was new. And there is this idea sometimes in spiritual religious circles that these things are virtues and values and you are supposed to do them and you're supposed to do them because they are good things to do. And you should feel kindness and you should feel compassion and you should feel these things and that's why your behavior happens. But then there's something else that happens uh, psychologically, sociologically, that we've just experienced here in a very, very admittedly silly illustration, that when I put something on, when I changed clothes, something happened in you and something happened in me. It feels different. When I put on the robe, I feel at home. When I put on that jacket, I feel like it's going to be fun. When I put on my gi, I feel like I want to fight. Sorry, that's Braveheart. When I put on a tie, I feel like I have to really be professional and I really have to be serious. And then when I put on this sweater, I feel like I'm with friends. Clothe yourself, my friends. So this is my question. What happens to you when you put on these clothes? And what happens to those around you when you put on these clothes? Two main observations that I would like to leave you with for your consideration. The first is, commensurate with what we say every single week. If maturity in Christ is the goal, if that's the aim, if this is the identity, and you don't have to listen to spiritual uh, critics who are saying you're not good enough, and there's still more that you have to do to be good. Get rid of those voices because we want you to be mature. And what I think Paul is suggesting here is that maturity means that the thing that is here, that is here, is the same thing that is here. And this is the idea behind this principle that the Lord is one. 
There is consistency and coherency with the character of God and the nature and the actions of God. So if this is true, then let this also be true. And you probably know plenty of people for whom they would quite readily profess this. But then when you look at what they wear on the outside, you're going, but, but I thought this is what was true. And I'm not exactly sure if the clothes that I see that you're wearing are matching the person that you say that you claim to be. And I couldn't help it. Because the idea is, you must complete the training. <laughs> you must keep going. The thing that Paul has argued so vehemently for two straight chapters, that this is who you are, this is your identity, Christ did it all, it's nailed to the cross, stop listening to religious critics, there's nothing more you need to do, stop trying to attain any particular spiritual status, this is who you are, God is in Christ, Christ is in you, you are in Christ and Christ is in God, that is your identity, now complete the training, become mature, Grow up, embrace this, and let what is on the outside be true to what is on the inside. And so I'm going to suggest, my friends, and this is something that you can take with you. We often take a look at these lists as a holistic list. Okay, and honestly, if we're honest, we gloss over lists like this, and we say, okay, we're just supposed to be good people. What I'd like for you to consider is that each one of these is a piece of clothing. And what I'd like for you to consider, maybe in this week, in the coming months, in your own spiritual time and practice, go to the closet and pick out one of these outfits and put it on. And say, you know, Today, I'm going to wear humility and intentionally say that. And that is the thing, that is the thing I'm going to wear today. This is what I'm going to put on. This is not a good one for humility, but none, <laughs> this is the one I'm going to put on. And as I practice this humility, something is going to change in me and something is going to change in the people around me as soon as I put it on. And I want that to be consistent with the person that I know that I am. Because just as Christ was humble, so too must I also be humble. So that list is there in your Bibles, in Colossians. And consider, what would it be like to go to your closet and actually put on compassion, kindness, not, don't look at this list and gloss over and say, okay, I'm just supposed to be a good person. No. Put on patience. Put it on. Wear it. Demonstrate it. And watch what happens to you and watch what happens to the people around you. So my friends, clothe yourself. Divest yourself of the old. Put on the new. And as you do, 
you will be exemplifying the truth that already is on the inside with the behavior of how you live on the outside. And when you do, you will help fulfill the commission, the telos of all of us becoming mature. Not just babies, that's great. Born again is a wonderful miracle. Keep growing and complete the training. There's more to be done. As we come to a time of communion, we are reminded that Christ is our ultimate example and model of what it means to fulfill the truth of who Christ is on the inside with the actions and the behavior on the outside. And every week when we participate in this sacrament, we are taking within ourselves that very example. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. My friends, no matter who you are, where you've come from, because there are no spiritual tick boxes that you need to check, you are welcome at this table. Every single one, all of you. Please come as we sing together.